0: Now today I want you to open your Bible to the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. The 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. In the past few days I preached the sermon and the service for Wayne Boggin, who sat behind me for recent months. Uh, he's absent from the body, and he's present with the Lord. Had a very difficult many, many days before he passed away. And as I, I thought about his story, and Wayne was a prodigal that came home. He was uh, born in a preacher's home, as I was. And preacher's kids drift. Ask Billy Graham when you get to heaven. Ask Jerry Falwell. Ask others. Dr. Criswell, L.D. Morgan maybe, you know, whatever. Did your child ever drift? But you know what? When you know... Jesus, you can find your way home if you want to come home. And if you want to come home, he's ready to welcome you home. But if you're still enjoying the nasty now and now and forgot about the sweet by and by, you're in trouble. But as we shared the story of, of Wayne and his life and so forth, I, I, I could not put down the, this week in my mind the uh, chapter of Luke, chapter 15, where this story is told. Now, if you've never heard the story, I'm just going to read you just a few verses, but I want you to pick up on the message today from the very beginning. I'm entitling the message, and I'm borrowing this from Dixon Murray, who's another one of my heroes that's absent from the body and present with the Lord. This was a thing that he would say many times every day if you're around Dixon Murray. He'd always say, now he was, uh, first of all, a NASA scientist or an engineer and was just one of the main people at at NASA for a long time. Then he began to be our counselor. And then he came up with our ministry of bringing ministers in from all over the world and spending a week with them. And over 1,300 came. But one of the things he said over and over again as the title of my message today, the problem is never the problem. The problem is is never the problem. Now, I'm speaking to a lot of folks today, and you've got problems. Your problem is you don't know what it is. That's your problem. You don't understand that your problem is a result of something that's very, very clear, and we're going to talk about that. So let me read to you the brief text, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Verses 11 through 24 and Jesus said a certain man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me and he divided unto them his living and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living and when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land And he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Pigs. Okay. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Now listen to verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. I will go, I will arise, and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he was yet afar, a great way off his father saw him had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed his son and the son said unto him father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no more worthy to be called your son but the father said listen to this to his servants bring forth the best robe put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. That's what God does. God loves his kids. God wants to adopt every one of us into his family. He wants us to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. But his desire is to live his life through us. But even those that go to church growing up, as well as those that don't, have within them, we all do, that sin nature. That sin nature is constantly tempting us to run away from home, to run away from God, just for a little while, just while we're in secondary school, just while we're young, and just, you know, having a good time. I'm going to run. And yet, the outcome of God's children running from him is always a life in the pig pen. It's always a life of what seems to be the good life, but turns out to be a terrible life. So before I go any further, I want to ask you the question, do you think this message is going to be relevant to you let me let you decide first of all it's relevant to you if you can point to a time in your life when you love Jesus more than you love him today when you walk with God more in other words you say well I grew up in a Christian home I went to Sunday school every Sunday we had family altar we prayed around the table we did all that but today I'm not at church I hope you are watching or listening But most are not doing either. They're not here, nor are they there, nor are they listening. If you're one of those, you need to hear what I'm fixing to say. If you wonder if your present problems are God getting even with you, you need to listen. You see, a lot of people come up with some kind of religion. They say, as long as I do God, God's going to love me. When I start going bad, He's just going to throw me away. No, no, no. No, He doesn't throw you away, you're His Son. Now, it breaks his heart because he knows what you're getting yourself into. But he just says, I'm just going to let you go ahead and do it. I'm just going to turn you loose. I'm not going to kill you and bring you to heaven as you are. I'm going to let go of you. And if you are one of those that believe that you're going through problems because God's trying to get even with you, that's not the way he works. He doesn't want to get even with you. He wants to bring you up to where He is so you can be what He created you to be. And when He sees your life being thrown away, He wants to come and rescue you. And He's looking for you to come home. The final thing to see if you'll just pay attention to the next few minutes as I speak to you if you're filled with guilt over your past mistakes, and question whether God still loves you or is willing to forgive you, you need to listen. You see, some of us have gone so far that you don't think, you say, if I was a father, I'd have kicked you out a long time ago. I wouldn't have put up with you for a minute. Well, you're not God. And by the way, aren't you glad you're not? And aren't you glad you didn't marry God? And aren't you glad that God's not one of your kids and he's not your mother and dad here on earth? he's king of kings and he's lord of lords and he has relationship with his kids that other people do not have why because they have rejected the only source for joy and peace and real love and forgiveness and purpose and we could go on and on with the list there could be Some here today, and you once really enjoyed God. You really did. I mean, your music, your readings, your activities, your fellowship, the people you wanted to be around with, it was just Jesus, 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 but not now. For whatever reason, maybe you went off to college, you got into fraternity, you got into sorority, you got into a different crowd. I got to thinking the other day how many close friends that I made in four years at Baylor University. And I played ball and I was in the student body council and all this kind of stuff. But you know, right now, I can't think of that many friends that I made the whole time four years I was in school. I wasn't up there to make friends and influence people, I was up there to try to get a degree. But the point is, They were always thinking that out there somewhere, if I just get in the right group and do the right thing and join the right club, then I'm going to be Mr. Wonderful and Miss Wonderful, but it doesn't work that way. For God's kids, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then in due time, God will exalt you. And if you'll look around, some of those that were least likely to succeed by your vote in high school are now the leaders, and you wonder, what in the world happened to them? Well, for a lot of them, they found God's plan and purpose for their life. And they became what God wanted them to be instead of what people expected them to be. C.S. Lewis said, and I paraphrase, The road that leads a believer away from God is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. That's the way life is. If you don't know what drove you away, then you don't know how to come back. If you do not know that God is overlooking you, watching you, caring for you, wanting to love you, wanting to direct your life, if you can't get a hold of that, then you're in trouble. But if you can go back, and the Bible cautions us to be as a little child Follow the Father, follow the mother, just obey me. We heard all of that if we had wonderful home. And God the Father, the perfect Father, said, that's all I'm asking you. My child, you've run off. You're hurting. Now you're too proud to say it, but you are. And I want you to come home. Now you could have had a very dramatic conversion. I mean, where everybody, everybody realized that you were born again. It was very emotional, very dramatic but you can still drift. You might have been very sincere about your decision, but you can still drift. You might even be saturated with doctrines, biblical doctrines, but you can't put the pieces together. You can read the Bible, but you don't read it as to what it says to you. You read it so you can find something to prove somebody else wrong. And when you get in that kind of Bible study, you're headed for trouble. Amen. But all of life, thats an absolute fact. Because of the way God put us together from the time of Adam and Eve, there is something drawing all of us away from God's will for our life. Amen. There's always that pull. There's always that some stronger, some it's almost like jerking you down. But for most, it's just drifting and drifting, and drifting. So as we look at this story, we're going to see the how and the why that we move away from God. We're going to see from this story what life is like in the far country. And we see in this story as well how we can return to a vibrant relationship to the Father, maybe even greater than the initial relationship was so please listen closely because it's simpler than you can imagine what I picked up on and just going over and over this, this is so simple you can teach this to seven-year-olds nine-year-olds 11-year-olds it's just hard sometimes for a PhD to understand the simple stuff folks this is not rocket scientist preaching This is not Greek and Hebrew interpretation. It's just very simple. How do you, the drifters, come home? I don't think most of us ever get in just total open rebellion, but some do. But I wouldn't put that in the majority. I mean, where they just get so mad and so angry. You just cuss God and you damn God's name and you just throw that out of your mouth all the time. You've given up a long time ago. Instead of praising the name of God, you damn the name of God. You run with people damn God's name. They're your best friends and they just damn God all the time. I, I don't think most of us have that problem, but a lot of people do. So my question is, why? Why? What has God done to you? What has God done to me to make me ever want to rebel against him? Was it his fault that made me mad or was it my bad decision in disobeying God that made me run away from home and run away from godly people? And I didn't care who I dated. I didn't care what party I went to or what I drank, what I ate, what I smoked, what I took. Didn't care how I talked. Didn't care. Is that your testimony? Or is it drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting from the mansion to the pig pen? And yet we say, but I did pretty good at school and I know I'm pretty smart. Why do you think the human heart is prone to, to wonder? For those of us that have been around church for a long time, I'm going to start the song don't sing it if you will. I'll promise not to sing it. If you'll just listen. Robert Robinson wrote this song. It's in all of our hymn books growing up. The name of it is Come Thou Fount. Listen to these words of just one verse. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Now listen. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yeah. This man that wrote this song fell into an immoral relationship that destroyed his life, that wrote that song. You can write a song like that, and the devil, though, can catch you at your weak moment and throw you to the pigs. He's just that smart. When you think you're doing quite well, the devil's just laughing at you and say, yeah, I think you are too. Keep on going. Keep on doing what you're doing. Just keep on doing the same thing you always done. Just expect something good to happen sometime because until now, it's all been bad. But maybe one day, if you date enough, go enough, drink enough, cuss enough, you know, on and on, finally going to do it. Meet enough people. You ever been around people They got a good friend everywhere? I just run from those people. What do you need? Well, I need. I got a good friend. He's a lawyer. Well, I need an engineer. Well, I got a good friend. He's an engineer. Well, I like to play tennis. Well, I know somebody just loves to play tennis. You know, I like to hunt. I like to fish. I mean, first thing you know, you can identify with everybody in the world. You got a good friend, a good friend, a good friend. You know how many good friends you have if you're on the top of the chart? Maybe that many that give their life for you. But you got one that already gave his life for you. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name we know. 2 Timothy 2.12, though, says, a little encouragement from Timothy, young man, if we endure, if we endure through our young years, we shall also reign with him. If we will stay the course, if we'll fight the good fight, if we'll finish the course, if we'll stay focused, We will take communion. We will come to when communion is offered. And remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ who bought us with his death and his blood on the cross. Three reasons that we're prone to wonder. Number one, we have an invisible father. Now the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible says, I've made myself so evident in creation that you're without an excuse. But none of us have literally seen the Father. None. He is invisible. Now, one day, we'll see him face to face. But as we watch and as we listen, the apostles had an advantage over us in that they literally saw Jesus. They were able those disciples to walk with him, see him, hear him, emulate him. But he's gone back to be with the Father. So we have an invisible one that we have not seen, we've not heard, we've not touched. I've never touched Jesus, neither of you. Who was the physical manifestation of God? But you know what? God hadn't abandoned us. He sent His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, every one of those that were baptized and will ever be baptized. That gave their heart to Jesus, and that's their first act of obedience—is to do what the Lord said. Believers' baptism by immersion—that's where it starts. That's where it starts. But because we can't see God, we don't think He sees us. Now, here's where I get in trouble. And for those of you that are looking at me so spiritually, you too. He does know what you said. He does know where you've been. He does know what you're doing. But he still loves you. Can you imagine? What if you had a friend like that? That turned on you. That disobeyed you. What would you do? What would you do? God knows we need someone with us all the time our parents didn't just put us out in the field and say go do your best when my mother and dad would go out of town they'd leave me with the mccrary family growing up why they'd leave me at home by myself not when i was three and not when i was 13. they felt like i needed somebody with me all the time and you know what that's one of the things we get together on sunday for we're a family. We need each other. You know, sometimes after you've looked in a mirror and think that you're the most beautiful, most handsome thing on planet, somebody needs to tell you, you're getting old. <laughs> you just need a little bit of that, you know, because it's the truth that will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John fourteen sixteen says, I'll pray to the Father, He'll give you another comforter. And he will abide with you forever. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Oftentimes talk among Christians or a recent death has come. Well, how's the family doing? And we have our answers. We try to be truthful. Some families and some individuals handle it physically better, emotionally better. But there's a concern. There's a concern. But you know when people can go and live in sin, never change their countenance, come to church with the same kind of smile, same kind of greeting, say a prayer if they ask to before uh, lunch or any of those kind of things, they participate. But down deep inside, they're a prodigal that's gone away and still has not found their way back. Where that scripture says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Always know this. He is there. He is here. Jesus is here. When Jesus is here, you're in an atmosphere and an environment where an immediate miracle can happen to you. Just like that. Some of the greatest Christians that ever lived... Were saved almost at the in one second in the when they realized they were a sinner, they were at an evangelistic crusade, the gospel was being preached, someone likened to a Billy Graham was preaching, or a Billy Sunday, or Dwight L. Moody, or any of those guys. And in that moment, before the invitation was ever sung, they just simply stopped and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me today. That can happen to you as watching. Or listening or being in this auditorium just today. Several of these last Sunday was their moment. Today could be your moment. Number two, there's also an active opponent. There is a God that's hard for you to seek except when what He's created. And by the way, if you're driving the highways of Texas and you've been looking for the blue bonnets, they are there. They are there. But they're not gods. They're the evidence of the creator. So God has given us signs with little babies born, whatever. But God himself is going to come again at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But while that's all going on, the devil is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Douglas MacArthur. For those of you that are younger know he did not write part of the Bible. Okay. He's not one of the scripture artists. But General Douglas MacArthur was a highly respected general. Here's what he said. There are four ingredients necessary to win any battle. Morale, strength, supply, and knowledge of the enemy. The greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater potential for victory. Now put that in spiritual terms. As long as you don't acknowledge who the enemy is, Satan, and know how strong he is, how many demons he has, how wise he is, until you know the enemy, And how he works and where he works and the way he works. You're not going to be a strong soldier. But when you get strong in the Lord, you recognize that. You don't marry the wrong person and thought they were and they weren't. You don't do the investing that everybody was doing and you thought you were going to get rich quick. You don't live that kind of life. You live one day at a time. Will your eyes focus upon the Lord, knowing that Christ in me is my hope, and the devil is out from every direction? Ephesians 6, 12, listen to it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's not somebody else's fault, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. You can go up corporate America, political America, religious America, go up the totem poles, of any kind of grouping you want to put, the athletes, you will see that in those different groupings, there are those that love God and there are those that have rejected God. There are those that follow him and there are those that wouldn't be caught dead in church. They would not want anybody to think they are reading a Bible. They would not do that. And all around, the devil is just putting it all together. From that passage in Ephesians 6, 12, there's two obvious points. Number one, living a God-honoring life is difficult. The word here is wrestle. We wrestle. We're wrestling with the enemy. He's trying to put us on the canvas. And the result is up to us. But our greatest obstacle is not another person. A lot of you hate God because you have a marital problem. You hate God because you have a problem with the kids. You hate God because you don't like somebody at work. You hate God because you don't like the political situation. You hate God because you don't like the financial situation. All of that kind of stuff. That's not the problem. That's symptoms of the problem. The problem is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your mother. It's not your cousin, your in-laws. It's not your friend. It's the devil. Now, when you get it, know what you're shooting at, you might hit it. When you know what you're trying to put out and put down, if you know what it is, then you will not make a mistake. But when you think the answer is in the things of this world, God's not waiting on to see how any of our elections turn out, folks. I'm sorry. He doesn't stay up late at night to see who won. He knows who's going to win. That yeah, was written before you was ever born. Our decision is who are we are going to follow? Who are we going to choose to follow? And the one I've chosen to follow is Jesus Christ. Amen. The reason I chose to follow, I find no fault in him. I don't see him being racially prejudiced. I don't see him loving the rich and hating the poor. I don't see him hating those that are sinned and those that didn't today. I think he loves us all. Amen. I know he loves us all. And I want you to know. That he loves us all so quit this stuff out my mate just doesn't appreciate me anymore my parents abused me when I was growing up I can't remember their names but I remember they just uh they, they abused me and I can't remember which parent it was and I can't remember if it was the third marriage fourth marriage sixth marriage or whatever it was. I don't know and my old my employee overworks me overpays me sticks me in old stuffy office I should have got that promotion I don't know why I didn't get that promotion might be because God didn't want you to have that promotion I remember one time when I worked for a company's now bankrupt. I'm glad they didn't promote me to be the CEO. <laughs> Our friend, oh, boy, how many times I heard this, betrayed me. I went to church. He goes to church at Sagemont every week. And he invited me. And you know what he did to me? Oh, you wouldn't believe this preacher. Oh, I probably would. Because I know that everybody goes to sage Sagemont centers, including the pastor. But I do know this. And people say, well, the church just ignores me when I go. Not a real church. And by the way, if somebody doesn't say hello to you, you're supposed to say hello to them. Amen. You can be used. But here's what Satan used, and I'm through. He used money to defeat Judas. He used pleasure to defeat David he used ambition to defeat Adam and Eve and Moses and all three of them to bring down King Solomon and we could go on and on with that list but all the devices of the arsenal of Satan can be divided into three groups the kingdom of this world money pleasure like food and ambition ambition we want to think that we know more than him we want to think I'm right and God's people are wrong and God's church is wrong and God himself is wrong and because of this we find ourselves in the hog pen of life but yet there's a father with arms open and says come home come home ye who are weary come home I am waiting for you to come home. I have a place for you. We're going to take the fatted calf. We're not going to put you out in the barn. We're not going to throw you out. Come home. And we will be together. And we will be what God wants us to be. And 1 John 2, 16 says, For all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eye, money, The pride of life ambition is not from the Father, but of this world. You don't need to get mad at God. You need to get mad at the world that's deceiving you and destroying you and pulling you away from the truth. But the choice is literally up to you. The prodigal said, give me what's mine. He squandered his estate. He wanted to make a name apart from his father but it didn't work. And the third thing, not only is there an invisible father and an active opponent, but there's a fallen nature. Satan is so effective because all of us have a craving to sin. All of us. The Bible speaks of that. All have sinned because all have been tempted. None are righteous, no, not one. And all of this, as The writer of Romans said in the 7th chapter, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. But there is something dwelling in heaven. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Satan casts those plugs out there if you're a fisherman. You go into Bass Pro or Cabela's or somewhere and you look at that thing and say, What in the world would hit that thing? Looks like a broom handle with eyes on it. And so what's called a fisherman puts hooks on it, throws it out, and some eight-pound bass or speckled trout looked at that thing and said, Woo! Woo! Everything looks good at closing time. Woo! Boom! And where'd they end up? At the seafood restaurant. Was it a mistake? You betcha. But you know what? The world can paint itself up better than anything ever. And everybody's jumping on it, jumping on it, jumping on it, jumping on it, jumping on it. But as for me and my house, what should we do? Serve the Lord. He is the source of our strength. He is our God. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our protector. He's our provider. I never go into election wondering if the other side wins or whatever side I pick is whether I'm going to heaven or going to hell. I I never wonder about it. Will Jesus leave me if I vote wrong? I don't think so. Because I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he holds my hand. And he holds your hand too if you've ever asked him to. But if you're just still swapping hands with people, you tried this one, this one, this one, this job, this job, this job, still trying to find your way to go somewhere because you know where this street's best or whatever, why don't you just be still and know that He is God and He wants you to come home, come home. That song we sing, Jesus, is tenderly calling. Come home, come home. Ye that are weary, come home, come home. You can come home today. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you have done, Jesus Christ wants you to get out of the hog pen and come home. And when you come home, there won't be six months of probation. There won't be a time when we'll check you out and see if you really have changed. Jesus is the one that will change you. And Jesus is the one that's calling you to come home.